0: Welcome to Brand Blueprints, a podcast for individuals and brands that want to harness the power of story to be more memorable and impactful. My name is Malik Yarbo and I'm a paid media specialist and I'm interviewing authors, storytelling experts, and builders of brands to talk about their process, the lessons they have learned and the formulas they use to engage and have an impact on their audience. In this episode, we'll cover how to be more persuasive through the power of story, with author and sales trainer, Mike Adams, who has been a sales and marketing leader with blue chip companies such as Siemens, Nokia, SlumberJ, and Motorola. Some of the subjects we'll cover will be the seven stories that all salespeople should tell, how to use storytelling to earn trust, and the power of getting your client to share their stories with you. We'll cover this and much more. Hi, Mike. Welcome to the show. You are an author of the international bestselling book, Seven Stories Every Salesperson Must Tell. You have sold more than $1 billion worth of products and services, and you work with blue chip companies like Slumberger, Siemens, Nokia, and Halliburton. And you've been based all over the world, such as USA, UK, Australia, Norway, Russia, and China. So Mike, tell me, how did you stumble across storytelling?
1: Thanks very much, Malik. It's a delight to be with you and your listeners. It's a little bit of a long story. I see how quickly I can tell this story. I grew up in Tasmania and I'm an electrical engineer by training. So not really communications and storytelling kind of person. But when I moved to the UK, I was a software person, salesperson, and then I had the job of running the marketing team. And we had a big event for our users in Prague in what's now the Czech Republic, more than 500 or so of our users. And I had an hour slot to present our new software. And I knew that an hour would be too long to talk about the features and benefits. So I wrote a play for my marketing team to act out how they would use the software. They weren't very keen on this idea at first, I had to persuade them. But they did it, about five of them acted out a drama that I wrote. And at the end of a bit over half an hour, 40 minutes, I asked the audience for questions. And my audience just kept asking questions all the way through the coffee break, about an hour of questions. They loved the story and they really wanted to ask about how the software worked and how it was used. And that was when I realized that that people really like stories. They don't really like the technical features and benefits of your software. They want to know... How it's really used in practice, and that was the drama was like a demonstration of that. But that's also, that was a lot of work to write a drama, so that's not really what I would recommend. When I moved to Russia, that was in the year two thousand. I was working for Schlumberger, which is a very well-known company in the oil industry, except in Russia, because Schlumberger had a pretty bad history in Russia. The company was founded in the late nineteen twenties, so they were a startup company in the 1930s and Russia and the Soviet Union was where they had their first success. But in 1933, they got nationalized by Stalin. So Stalin kicked them out of the country, stole all the equipment, which is pretty bad for a startup company. And so they didn't go back to Russia until the 1990s when Russia started opening up again to Western companies. And that's how I got to Russia. So I was telling this story to the Russian companies about Schlumberger, about the history of Schlumberger. And when Schlumberger decided to go back to Russia, the strategy guys took a business case to the CEO and essentially said, how much money are you willing to lose going back into Russia because of this bad history? And the CEO said $200 million. And what Schlumberger decided to do was to invest in just two of the newly privatized Russian oil companies. So they put people and technology into just two of the many Russian oil companies. And those two companies doubled their production in 18 months, and the rest of the Russian oil industry was just going down very, very badly. And so I was telling this story, and after a little while, I was meeting new clients, and they were telling me the story back. Said, so, "Well, we've heard about Schlumberger, we heard about this this story," and I realised that my story was travelling. You know, it was doing work, and it was teaching the Russian oil companies about my company. So that was when I realised that a quite short story can also work very well. And these days I work for a company called Anecdote and we teach people how to collect really quite short stories. It could be a minute long story to solve particular types of problems. And the general problems that business people have, because nobody tells stories just to tell stories, we tell stories to solve problems. And the problems we solve are how to connect, how to introduce a change agenda, how to get people to make a decision to overcome risk, how to inspire people, how to get people to change their behavior or their values. So we can use stories to solve all of those problems. And that's what I do today. So two years ago, 2018, I wrote my book, Seven Stories. And these days I teach sales teams how to, how to tell stories, how to use stories and listen and hear stories so that they can sell more. And we, we do that mostly for big corporations.
0: That's phenomenal. Yeah, so... Please, for our audience, could you tell us what are the seven stories that all uh, salespeople must tell?
1: Yeah. So there are, I'll put them into three categories. The first category is stories that help you connect and build trust. So when you meet a potential buyer, we call it a prospect, uh, when you meet them face to face as a salesperson, they don't initially trust you because, well, firstly, you're a salesperson, right? And nobody trusts salespeople in general. So how can we get the client to know what kind of person we are? What is our experience and our credibility, our authority? Well, we could tell a story. And I've just told you two little stories about my past in Prague and in Moscow. And you probably inferred something about my character from those stories. You got to know a little bit about me from those stories, right? So if we tell a little story to our buyer about who we are like that, something that happened to us, we're not just using the story to tell them something. We're using it so that we can ask a question like, Malik, what about you? How did you get to be into Google Analytics and SEO and running a marketing podcast? What happened? And you would tell me your story because I just told you a story. So so there's a very fundamental rule in sales storytelling, which is, We tell a story to get a story. We want to hear the buyer's story because then we can start to understand what's going on. So that's the first story is the personal connection story. The second story is your company story. And I told you actually how I told the Schlumberger company story in Russia and how it made my Russian clients understand who our company is, what we do and understand that we can make them rich, which is... But, but, you know, if I just went to my client and said, we are Schlumberger and we are 100,000 people and we've got this fantastic technology, of course, they're not very interested in hearing that. They would push back. But if I tell them an interesting story about how we got kicked out of Russia, but then when we came back, we managed to double the production of these oil companies, they will listen because it's interesting. And just like my story, they will infer something about... Schlumberger about my company, most salespeople and most marketers, I have to tell you, cannot tell their company story. If you go to a company website, you might find something that says our story, but when you read it, you find it's not a story at all. Most of those pages that say our story, they might say our company started in 1927, which is when Schlumberger started, but then they make some claims, they say, and now we're the biggest and the best, and we're in New York, Houston, and Paris, and all of these claims, but they don't tell you the journey, how you got there. So it's not a story, because a story is a sequence of related events. That's the definition of a story, a sequence of things that actually happened. It's not opinion, it's not claims or assertion, it's just telling people what happened. That's what a story is. So the third type of connection story we call the key staff story. And that's a story about other people in your company that your buyer will need to trust. So maybe they meet you, but you need to bring in some technical people or you need to bring in your uh, implementation manager or your CEO. If you know the person's story, you can tell their story and the buyer will trust them before they even meet them. And one of the big problems with salespeople is they sell something. I had this often when I was a sales manager, they sell something and the buyer trusts them because they bought that thing from them, but then they continue to service the account. They continue to act like customer support instead of going to sell the next thing, because the buyer is always calling them. And that's because they haven't positioned the other people in their company So the buyer just thinks, I will just call the salesperson each time. And of course, that's not the right way to proceed. So this story about other people in your company is really powerful. Mm -hmm. If I tell the story about my technical guy and explain what projects he's worked on or she has worked on and why they're such a great person, the buyer will trust them. So those are three stories to connect and build trust. A personal connection story, something that happened to you, a key staff story and your company story. Then we move into stories to help sell change. So our job as salespeople and marketers is to change our clients because if they're not going to change, they're not buying anything, right? Uh, The first uh, most important story is a success story. So that's the story of another client that succeeded with our services. So we need to tell that story in a special way. We need to tell it from the perspective of that succeeding client, not from our perspective. A lot of marketing people and salespeople think that a case study is a success story, but it isn't. Most case studies are written in a format like situation, what's the problem, what we did to solve it. So problem, solution. The problem with that is the buyer, the your prospect cannot see themselves in that story. You have to tell a success story From the perspective of the buyer, which means you have to start with them, you have to tell us who they are, you have to make us care about their problem, and then you tell us how you got engaged and the plan that you work with them together, not just your plan as a vendor, and then the things they didn't want, how you avoided failure, and then success. So it's a particular structure that you should follow. And I think, would you like to hear an example of a success story?
0: Yeah, sure. Because it's used so widely in marketing. So that It, would- it is.
1: It is. So I'll tell you a success story from anecdote. And then when I finished, I'll take you back through the steps. Mm-hmm. So one of the world's largest technical consulting companies, global multinational consulting company, US-based, the head of organization development, HR. lady by the name of Kathy, she had just come back from a presentation from the emerging leaders of their company. So they have about 500 of their director level people that might make it to partner or even managing partner. And they put them through a one year training program. And at the end of that program, they all they come in groups, and they present a project to the senior leadership team of the company. And Kathy was coming back from that meeting feeling not very good, because the global managing partner had told her that the presentations were terrible, absolutely boring, too much PowerPoint. And what he said was, if that's the way our guys present to our clients, we're in big trouble. That was awful. You have to fix it. Now, she had actually worked a little bit with Anecdote with our company in Southeast Asia the previous year. So she contacted our managing director, Mark Shank. And Mark said, well, could I meet you? He happened to be in the US. She said, you have 30 minutes. And he met her in New York, 90 minutes later, they came out and they'd worked on a plan to put 500 of their director level people through a storytelling program. There wasn't time to get them together. So it was run as three webinars and then coaching for each of the teams that was presenting in teams. And we used our global partner network. So we have 60 partners around the world. So our partners in the different countries coached the teams so that they could deliver their presentations without any PowerPoint. And Cathy was worried, firstly, she was worried that webinars wouldn't work, there might be a lot of drop off in the webinars, and she was worried that we could coach them quickly enough. But we did that. We did the webinars and the training, and Cathy told us that it was the highest, the lowest drop off rate, the best attention of any webinar they'd run in the country, but more importantly, they delivered their presentations without any PowerPoint, and the managing partner was delighted. And so was Kathy. So that's a story. And you notice I started with the client. I told you that it was a global technical consulting company. And I told you about Kathy and her problem. I didn't say we have a customer. Mm -hmm. I didn't start with us. And then I introduced how they met anecdote. I told you that we had done a little bit of work and she contacted us because that tells you something. It's always interesting how the client found you. Mm -hmm. And then I told you about working on a plan. And I told you that a 30-minute meeting went for 90 minutes. That's what happens when you tell stories. And and then I told you that she was worried about some things, about drop-off rate and could we really coach people all over the world, right. but we did. And then she achieved success. So that's, that's the structure of a success story. And you can probably hear, Malik, that it sounds quite different from a case study.
0: Yeah, definitely. And it doesn't sound like you're bragging about yourself. No,
1: and you can probably infer some things about Anecdote from that story, right? In fact, I will ask you, what, what do you infer about our company from that story?
0: Well, that you were very helpful. And I think the biggest thing was that you were, you had empathy for her problem. So I think that was the biggest thing that you understood her problem. And I think for yes. me as a, as a listener, that made me feel confident that Anecdote will understand my problem as well.
1: So just imagine I'm average salesperson now, Malik, and I'm going to you, and and you are the head of organization development, and now I'm going to give you the standard sales approach. Malik, we are Anecdote. We are an international storytelling company. We have partners all over the world. We have people in the US and Europe and uh, Asia, and we've been teaching storytelling since 2004, and we're really good at it. We really like to empathize with our clients, how does it sound compared to the success story?
0: It sounds like it's, you're building it up to be very expensive. And I don't know what I'm getting. I just know that it's international and worldwide. But I don't know if it's going to be able to help me specifically.
1: See, that's the classic kind of pushing approach of salespeople. Like right? they try to push how great they are. But yeah. probably the other companies said the same things, right? But the story is, is unique. The story yeah. is a unique thing. So that's the success story. We also tell insight stories. So, if so, a lot of people talk about insight, it's an idea or a product or service that your company has that your client doesn't really quite understand. And because of that, we can't just tell them they need it. We need to explain how we discovered it. We need to tell the story of how we discovered the insight so that they won't push back. Right. The problem with insight is well, firstly, a lot of people call something insightful when it really isn't. I mean, by definition, insight is something that, that's really not very obvious to your client. If it was obvious, it's not insight. <laughs> so if you're trying to tell your client they don't know something about their business, there's a good chance that they will push back. So you need to teach them how you learnt it. So you need to tell them the journey, the story of how you discovered that insight, which is a story, and then they'll understand it and they won't push back. So this is very, also very important for marketers to understand how to position and communicate insight. So that's the next two stories. And the final, the final two stories are to help close the deal. And the first one is value stories. And probably we'll talk a little bit more about value stories. These are stories that tell your prospect how you will behave after they buy. So after you've signed the contract, will you operate ethically? Honestly, will you fix any problems if you have problems? What kind of service will you give us? How does the client evaluate that? Well, you can tell them stories about how you might operate. When I joined Siemens, so that was in 2003, I'd been working in technology. I'd been working selling software. And Siemens is a German multinational engineering company, really. And I couldn't really work out how they sold anything when I joined for the first few months because there didn't seem to be any sales culture and our marketing was only brand marketing there wasn't any local marketing at all and then i started to notice some of the stories that were being told and these are stories interesting value stories and i'll give you an example i was actually meeting our country australia country ceo here in melbourne and he took a phone call and you can tell it was an important phone call because he's the German and he kind of came to attention on the phone, you know, very formal. <laughs> and put the phone down and said to me, Mike, that was the, uh, the premier of our state, Victoria. So that's the p- political leader of our state. We're responsible for a very important infrastructure project. It's an electricity cable that's going to go under the sea between Victoria and Tasmania, which is where I'm from, 400 kilometres under the sea. And Siemens was delivering the electrical components and the ship that was bringing the the big inverter transformers from Germany, where they were made, to Australia, it struck a storm in the Southern Ocean, broke its rudder, and smashed all six of the transformers. And that was the premier asking me how we're we going to fix this problem because obviously the delivery timetable was looking like it was going to be seriously delayed because it takes 18 months to build those transformers. And um, so Albert, the CEO, told me he said, "You know, the um, when that accident happened." The Siemens board in Munich, they had an emergency meeting and they didn't discuss liability or who's going to pay for the new transformers or anything like that. They only discussed how quickly can we make six new transformers mm-hmm. and they built them in three months and the project actually hit its delivery time. Oh. And yeah, so that's a value story, right? The value is delivery. When you sign the contract, you're going to get what you ordered and you're going to get it on time. It's a very powerful story, right? you tell a story like that, and the client will understand, okay, these guys are serious, you know, this is this is what you get. And it doesn't have to be that kind of story. In the hospitality industry, they they tell a lot of stories. And often their are stories like, you know, the guest at the hotel left their passport on the front desk, and the bellboy took the passport out to the airport and didn't ask for a reward. You know, that's like showing the value of honesty and customer service. Mm-hmm. So it depends what type of, company you're in, what type of stories you need to not only to tell your clients how you behave, but to tell your own staff and your partners and everyone, this is how we behave. This is how our company operates. A lot of HR departments think that they can just write down their values. You know, we are passionate, you know, we are all those kind of things. And they put them up on big boards in the lobby of the building. And nobody believes that stuff, right? Everybody ignores that, right? Because what people do is they watch and they see what the leaders do and how they really behave. And that's how they learn the values. But if you have stories like this, those stories can really help people know how they should behave and they can change the way the culture of your company works. So that's value stories. And the final one is what we call a teaching story or a negotiation story. And this is used to help you get unstuck from a contract negotiation problem. And it relies on having made a good connection. So if you've made a good connection with your client, and then they're in a, imagine that they're in a meeting with their own people, we call that a stakeholder meeting. So the the buyer will not make the decision on their own. They will bring in the CFO and the safety manager and the HR person, they'll make a decision in a group, in a team meeting, and sometimes they get stuck. You know, they might have a legal problem or they might have conflict with how much money they should spend or what budget they should use. And you can help them get unstuck if your sponsor, we call that the person in in the client side who would like to have your solution, if you have a good connection with them and you find out what's going wrong, you can act like their sales manager. You can teach them how to get over the problem. And I'll give you an example. I learned also from the oil industry. I went on a training course to Houston a long time ago, more than 20 years ago when I was with Schlumberger. And in that course was a guy, one of the sales guys from Brazil. And while we were learning, I can't remember what the training course was about. He was trying to sell coffee. Well, our business was selling software to oil and gas companies. It wasn't selling coffee. So I'm like, what what are you doing? What is going on? And he said, well, we had a um, contract mission with the Brazilian National Oil Company, and we couldn't agree on the currency. They wanted to get paid in the local Brazilian currency, and we wanted to get paid in US dollars. And we could not agree. We had a stand. And eventually, we had the bright idea to tell them, look, we'll agree. You can pay us in the Brazilian currency. But if the exchange rate changes by more than 5%, you have to pay us in coffee futures. And of course, the exchange rate did change. And he had to sell the coffee, and that's what he was doing during the training course: was selling the coffee. And he told me at the end of the course, very, very happy, he sold it for more than the contract value. Was an example of flexibility in a contract negotiation that you can use to help your buyer get unstuck. So those are the seven stories: personal connection story, staff story, key staff story, your company story, success story, insight story, value story, and negotiation teaching story
0: excellent yeah that's extremely helpful and do you think that these are stories that you don't just have to tell in person or are these stories that we could also write in for example an email or or tell in a video format or any other format
1: yes what what we typically do with sales teams is we collect these stories in Oral videos. So we video people telling the stories, preferably the person that the story happened to, but we also convert it to text and we will use the we'll use it in a variety of different ways. We could put the story in a proposal. We could, we might often have to anonymize the story sometimes if it's going to go on the website, depending on how confidential it might be. But we definitely can use it in the in the website. Success stories, it's fantastic to actually get your succeeding client to tell their success story on video and put that on the website and if you do that you want to have it in that format that I showed you get them to tell you about their company and what was the problem and then how they met you and how you worked on a plan together and what they didn't want what they were worried about that might go wrong and then how they achieved success get them to to speak it in that structure it's very effective very effective your website
0: excellent and also there's a lot of marketers that ask me what is the evidence that storytelling is so effective so could you tell me a little bit about the science and what actually happens in the brain when we hear a story
1: i'm an electrical engineer so you know engineers need to know exactly how something works right we don't and we don't like bad explanations so when i was writing seven stories I got very interested in that question. I mean, the question is, I knew stories worked, but why do they work? What exactly is the reason that stories work so well? And I read a lot of books. You can see a lot of books behind me (laughs) and a lot of storytelling books. And there's almost always the first chapter is something about the science of storytelling. And almost always it's like rubbish in my opinion. (laughs) It doesn't explain at all why stories work. They'll talk about the amygdala and chemicals in the brain. And I got very interested in the new part of our brain, which is, which is called the neocortex. If you hold your two fists in front of you, that's about the size of your neocortex. And it's, it's in two halves and it's all wrinkly like that. And the neocortex is the, it, it stands for, for it, the Latin neo is new and cortex means bark. It's like a sort of a shell on the outside of the brain. it's in evolutionary terms, it's the newest part of our brain, all mammals, have a neocortex, it's a very interesting structure. If you were to open it out and lay it flat, it's like a sheet of neurons, sheet of nerve cells, about two millimeters thick, and about the size of a dinner napkin or a tea towel if you're from England, so yeah, about this big. And all of our sensors are connected from inside, from our spinal cord, all of our sensors come up and they connect in various parts of the neocortex and they're cross-connected. So all our senses are cross-connected in the neocortex. And what it's doing, is doing a very interesting thing, and not many people know this, what the neocortex is doing is it's predicting its inputs. So it's trying to predict what it will see next, what it will hear next, how it will move, and how it will feel. When you were in primary school, you were probably taught that you have five senses, but really you have eight. You have eight sensory groups. So the ones that you learnt in school, like vision, hearing, smell, taste, touch, it's the five, but you also have the sense of body movement, it's called proprioception. So your sense of where your body is in space, you have a sense of balance, which is called the vestibular system, and it's how your body knows whether your head is moving and how your head is moving in space. And most importantly, you have an internal body sense, which is called interoception, And that's the sense of your heartbeat and your guts and your sense of arousal. Everything that you feel from inside your body is internal body sense. All eight of your senses come up into the neocortex and they cross connect. So when you hear a story, what your neocortex is trying to do is it's trying to predict what will happen next. And your neocortex was probably predicting I was going to say the word next. So if I start a story, And I say that in 1996, when I moved to Norway for my first sales job, you're going, okay, good. What's going to happen next? So as a listener, you're trying to predict what's going next. Now, if you've been to Norway and you've been to Stavanger, and I know you have, you'll be imagining Stavanger. Yeah, Mike was in Stavanger. So then I start to tell you the story and you're trying to guess. You're trying to guess what's happening next in the story. And stories, one of the features of good stories is they're hard to guess. Good stories are unpredictable. They keep the listener guessing. Even though I'm telling you the story and you're hearing it with your ears, because your neocortex is cross-connected, you can also visualize, you can imagine yourself there. And if I'm moving and making some decision in the story, you can imagine yourself moving. And most importantly, you can also imagine how I feel from the story. Because interoception, the body sense is also connected to the neocortex. So if I have to make a decision, you will imagine yourself making that decision, and you'll imagine how you would feel. And from that, I can pass feelings. So we say that a story is fact and context wrapped in emotion, so delivered with emotion, right? I'll give you an example of how emotion works in story. There's actually a story from one of my clients. I asked them to think about a time when they had helped. And he told me about going to the beach with his daughter when she was only about three years old, she was learning to swim. And this was in Sydney. So you might imagine Sydney now, I told you where it is. And he was in about waist deep water at the beach and the water wasn't very clear. So he was watching his daughter very carefully. And she was just in front of him swimming towards him and he felt something touch his leg. And he quickly looked at his daughter and he decided it it couldn't have been her. She didn't touch him. So then he just reached down in the water beside his leg and on the the sand was a boy drowning. And he pulled the boy up and he was not conscious, grabbed his daughter and carried them quickly to the beach. And as he got to the beach, he stood the boy up and he started breathing. And then the boy's mother rushed up and said, oh, there you are, and she grabbed him and took him away before Nick, the guy telling the story, could explain to her what had happened. Now, you probably felt some emotion from that story. And if you have children, most likely you did, right? But I didn't tell you any emotion words. I didn't say that she was scared or Nick was surprised or he was worried. I didn't give you any emotion words. But from the context, you imagine yourself as Nick. You imagine yourself with your daughter, even if you don't have a daughter, swimming. And then you imagine something touching you. What is it? Is it a shark? I don't know. And then you imagine the whole thing. And from that, you feel the emotion of that story. And that's how stories work. They work because we can imagine ourselves as the character in the story. So this comes to now what stories must have. Mm -hmm. So stories must be a sequence of events. If it's not a sequence of events, it's not a story at all. Something must happen, and then the listener must try to predict what is the next thing that's going to happen. If there's no next thing, it's not a story, there's no prediction. Stories should have a character, usually a human character, not always, but we should have a character because we want the listener to imagine themselves as that character. So that's why we need a character in our story. There should be a surprise. There should be some kind of surprise. Otherwise, it's a boring story. We we need to be guessing what's going to happen next. Stories should happen in a time and place. It's not an event if it's not at a place in a specific time. So we need to say when and where it happened. And finally, business stories have to make a point, they have to be relevant. Otherwise, it could be interesting story, but time wasting. And people often ask me, you know, there's some people who don't like stories. And the answer is no, everybody likes stories. But important business people like CEOs or CFOs, they don't like their time wasted. So they only want to hear a story if it's relevant. And the safest way to make sure they listen is to say something like, I would like to make a point about." the importance of emotion in stories and then I would tell that story and say, so you see, you don't even have to say emotion words. You can still feel an emotion from a story. So we call that a relevant statement. So the story is is relevant to the conversation and I told you how it's relevant at the beginning. So five things, sequence of events, time and place, character, surprise, and makes a business point. It's a relevant business point.
0: Okay, great. And is there any time a danger of putting too much information in your story so that the listener might hear too many points instead of just one main uh, point from the story?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. There's a few parts to your question. One part is about the point. You, know, you can tell the listener what is the point you're trying to make, but the listener will also infer some other things anyway, and you can't control that necessarily. But generally, you should tell a story to make one point. That's the safest. And we want to tell our story as short as we can and still make the point. So we don't want to go on and on and on. She said this and he said that and all that. So we want to be tight. And most business stories are somewhere between a minute and three minutes long. You know, a minute, usually quite long enough. I mean, I don't know how many stories I've told, but probably, I don't know, 10. And they don't take long.
0: And it's gone so fast. And do you feel like you have a deeper relationship with your clients because you're telling a lot of stories and you're uh, including personal events and also, of course, business events? Do you feel the relationship is deepened even after the sale has been done?
1: Yes. And there's a little bit in how you ask that that's worth commenting on. The first thing is you mentioned because personal If I put something personal in a story and say to the other person, well, what about you? They'll probably tell me something personal back. And that's a better way to connect. We understand each other, not just on a business level, but also on a personal level. So we understand each other better. But really, the the deep part of the relationship and the understanding comes from hearing their story. And we tell stories to hear them, really, particularly in sales. So sales is a conversation game. Sales is about conversations. Marketing, you might say you're having a conversation, but you're not really having an intimate conversation. You're you're communicating to the market. But salespeople are communicating one-on-one. And it's not so much the stories we tell, it's the stories we hear. And the skill that we teach, we call it story listening. And story listening means asking the type of question that will get the client to tell us a story. So, for example, if the client says something like, customer service is our number one priority, that's not a story, that's a statement. In fact, it could be an opinion, an assertion, right? So, a lot of salespeople would just accept that. But what does it mean? What, What does it mean, customer service is your number one priority? Now, if I ask the client, what does it mean, they're probably going to be irritated. But if I say, could you give me an example of great customer service? tell me what happened. That's a story listening and a story seeking question. And then they'll tell you about something that happened, a story. And now you will understand what customer service really means. Or you could say, and what about bad customer service? Could you give me an example of where it went wrong? And now you are starting to understand even better. So we're telling the story to get a story. And when we hear these stories from the client, it's it's super powerful. So that and that's really going deep right and most salespeople they don't get to hear the client's story because they make assumptions so the client says customer service is our number one priority and they go yeah great it's our number one priority too and we've got this fantastic customer service software would you like to buy it but they don't understand what the client means by customer service at all no. so they haven't gone deep enough they haven't heard the client's stories the what story- do you think of that
0: yeah So the story becomes a visual representation then to the client.
1: Correct. In fact, there's only two ways to learn anything. And the two ways are you can experience it. Mm -hmm. So if you would like to learn something, you can experience it directly or you can hear a story about it. Now, have you ever been bitten by a snake, Malik? No. No. But you know that snakes are dangerous and you don't want to get bitten by one, right? For sure. And you know that because you've heard stories about snakes and what they can do. That's true. So you see, I want to know something about my client. I have to hear stories. I have to hear stories from the client and they need to know about us and what we can do and how we work and they need to hear stories. So the two things work together and by hearing the stories and telling the stories, we get to know each other and then we can solve problems and we're only doing this to solve problems. Mm. And I should explain that all stories are actually about problem solving. So there's a context and there's a problem and a solution. So if I take a very old story like The Wizard of Oz, I don't know if your listeners will know The Wizard of Oz, but a very old American famous movie about a little girl and her dog, Toto, living in Kansas, that's the context. And then a tornado comes and takes her away to Oz that's the problem and then the solution is how she finds her way home right right so that's a classic story context problem solution and a movie is just lots of them context problem solution another problem another solution another problem another solution and finally the end of the movie where we solve the big problem so that's all it is stories just put problems in context and a lot of business speak is about problems and solutions, but problems on their own and solutions on their own are out of context. They're abstract. People right. can't understand them, but put them in a story, people can understand them. So stories are about problems and they solve problems. We use them to solve problems. And in that way, they're, they're very fundamental to how our brains work and how our minds work to solve problems. And we always have problems in business One thing's for sure. We always have problems.
0: And do you have any tips?
1: Your listeners would like to investigate a little bit more. Yeah. Just put my name, storytelling into Google, and they will see Anecdote, our website. They will probably see my YouTube channel. There's a lot of videos there. They can listen to examples there as well. And we're a training company, so we teach storytelling mainly for sales teams but we also anecdote teaches storytelling for leaders for marketers and for strategy as well so our three big programs are storytelling for leaders that's this one yeah story powered sales and story powered strategy so that's easy to find on google
0: excellent excellent and uh, you're in melbourne right
1: yeah the company is headquartered in melbourne but we're all over the world so we're in every country just about
0: Amazing. Okay. Well, thank you so much for this uh, conversation, Mike. It's been uh, truly amazing and hope to hear from you soon.
1: Thank you. Great to chat with you, Malik. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to the Brand Blueprints podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, feel free to leave us an honest review. And don't forget to subscribe to check out our next episode.